One of the soundtracks I've given so many people this year is, I think we should all write down on a piece of paper and put it where you can see it, the phrase, this is my first global pandemic. I think that I keep running into people who go, why am I not handling this better? I should be I should be better at virtual school with my kids. No, you shouldn't. You should be terrible at it. You've never done it. You're probably terrible at hang gliding too. I bet you're terrible at hang gliding. But we hold ourselves to these standards that just aren't fair or kind. And so I think, you know, a simple soundtrack like, yeah, this is my first global pandemic. I've never, if we were sitting in a room of 50 people and said, raise your hand if you've done another global pandemic, no one would raise their hand. So we're all kind of in amateur hour. And I think our ability to accept that and kind of lean into that makes life a lot better. Well, that's really good advice there, John. Oh, thank you. At the top of the show, you heard New York Times bestselling author John Acuff, whose new book, Soundtracks, A Surprising Solution to Overthinking, drops today, Tuesday, April 6, 2021. When we don't control our thoughts, our thoughts control us. If our days are full of broken soundtracks, thoughts can be our worst enemy. But the solution to overthinking isn't to stop thinking, it's to put the needle to the vinyl of improved soundtracks. I think my favorite soundtrack growing up was Flashdance. The tingles I got when watching Jennifer Beals dance was a real coming-of-age moment for me. What a feeling. <laughs> I'm Gregory Day. You're listening to the Portland Podcast. More now from John Cuff on his latest and greatest sure-to-be bestseller, Soundtracks. I want to get right into it. I never thought a book would get me listening to Yanni, but this is the book that did it, finally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. a surprise. Yes. That, was a, that was a surprise hidden toward the back of the book. <laughs> you know, One Man's Dream, I think, is my, my Rocky soundtrack from now on. That song is remarkable. Yeah, he's fantastic. I, I, I love it. Yeah, right. You know, we spent so much time in the 90s, the group of kids I hung out with, making fun of Yanni. I never realized his brilliance. Yeah, I, uh, I, it was really fascinating. I, I spent like an entire year or two writing just to that. And so then, um, and just the backstory of him taking the risk and like putting it together and the project and the, what it did to his career, the whole, the whole backstory is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I, Whenever somebody asks me what I think the best album is, I always say, well, what's the second best? Because clearly it's Yanni Live at the Acropolis. And they always <laughs> think I'm joking. And then I have 17 facts for them on, you know, on deck that I'm ready for. Well, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that. You never really know what you're going to get from a John Cuff book. Right. Uh, right. 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 I, I got a lot from Finish, and I really enjoyed the audio book. 
This time I actually read the, the manuscript that was sent to me. Thank you so much. My overriding feeling is that this one is very personal. It feels a lot more personal, this runaround. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's fair. I mean, it, this one, you know, spanned more than 10 years of my life. And it's still one that I'm, you know, people, I, somebody asked me the other day, they said, how do you get over imposter syndrome? And I said, well, I, I think you trade out the word over. I think, I think the word over is a broken soundtrack because over is a word of perfectionism, as if you climb over one wall and be over it and done with it. And I think it's better to say, how do you go through imposter syndrome? Because I've written seven books. There's still days that I feel like I'm not a real writer. So I don't like to say you get over fear. I think you go through fear. Every time you do something new or different or bigger, you experience some fear. So how do you go through that? So yeah, for me, it's personal because it's a long, you know, it's a big chunk of my life, but it's also something that I'm in the same trenches that everybody else is in. Um, and so it's fun to talk from that perspective. Yeah, you are in it with us. And uh, I can really empathize with a lot of what you talk about in this book. Like you mentioned, basically writing a book that you couldn't use. That was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got creatively stuck. Um, I think it's like a lot of things. The, if you spend time away from it, it starts to stack days on top of it, and then it feels more intimidating. So that could be a goal like, I want to go to the gym. And you skip a day, and you go, it's just a day. And then they kind of stack on top of each other. And so now it's been a month. And now, you know, there's all this inertia. So for me... After Finish came out, there was just a bunch of inertia, and I, I didn't write, you know, as consistently as I should have, and then felt really creatively stuck. And so I ended up going to a coffee house and writing a ridiculous, terrible book that I hope nobody will read. And that's, the thing I said was the goal wasn't to release the book, the goal was to release me. And so um, that was part of the creative process. Interesting. I, I love hearing when people struggle. It makes me feel not so alone in the world. <laughs> yeah, I think there's this there's this old school leadership principle of if I share my weaknesses, people won't trust my strengths. And I think the new school leadership principle is if I pretend I don't have weaknesses, people won't trust my strengths. And so I think especially this new generation can spot, you know, somebody who's being fake from a mile away. And so for me, when I say, yeah, here's this thing that just blew up in my face, you know, um, here's. And it's funny, I've had a bunch of podcasts say, well, tell us about a failure. And I think they think I'm going to say something 20 or 30 years ago as if I'm sitting in a rocking chair whittling like some old grandpa. But I usually I go, yeah, two weeks ago, I was stressed out about a different situation. And I, I brought that into a meeting and really didn't lead the team well. And my project manager told me, John, my soundtrack in that meeting was, I wish John showed up before his impatience. And then I had to go apologize to the team because I'd been a, an abrupt jerk. And so like, and you go, wow, that was two weeks ago. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still learning. Just like, but I, you know, one of the, one of the soundtracks I've given so many people this year is I think we should all write down on a piece of paper and put it where you can see it. The phrase, this is my first global pandemic. Um, I think that I keep running into people who go, why am I not handling this better? I should be, I should be better at virtual school with my kids. No, you shouldn't. You should be terrible at it. You've never done it. You're probably terrible at hang gliding too. I bet you're terrible at hang gliding, but we hold ourselves to these standards that just aren't fair or kind. And so I think, you know, a simple soundtrack like, yeah, this is my first global pandemic. I've never, if we were sitting in a room of 50 people and said, raise your hand, if you've done a, another global pandemic, no one would raise their hand. So we're all kind of in amateur hour. And I think our ability to accept that and kind of lean into that 
makes life a lot better. Well, that's really good advice there, John. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I love this this uh, sentence here. Unconscious thoughts tend to be negative. The positive thoughts don't have as lasting an effect. And, you know, why is that? Why is that? Yeah, I thought the study that Paul Rosen and um, Roy Baumeister did, where they, they uh, studied and realized the English language doesn't even have an opposite for the word trauma. That's right. Um, there's yes. not a moment where four years later you're in the grocery store and this overwhelming sense of joy mm-hmm. just hits you and knocks you over. But we've all yes, had the negative yes. version of that. We've all right. gone to bed and said, okay, brain, time to go to sleep. And your brain goes, what if instead we thought about that stupid thing you said in that meeting four years ago? And you go, where did that come from? The way I say it is like fear comes free, faith takes work. You don't ever have to go look for negative thoughts. They'll find you. You do have to go look for positive. You do have to go look for hope. You do have to be, you know, deliberate about that. Um, and, and that's the, you know, and, and part of the problem there is then you add how the brain does cognitive bias, where it tends to believe things it already believes. And so I'll talk to people that, for instance, got fired at a job 12 years ago, 12 years ago, and they'll still say to this day, if I see a conference door close with my boss inside it, I think, oh, I'm about to get fired. 12 years ago, that thing is still, that soundtrack is still there. And the problem is that every time you touch a negative thought, it's like putting an extra handle on it. So it's so much easier to pick it up the next time. You've put another handle, another handle, another handle. And by the time, you know, you've, you're, again, walking in the grocery store and you, and you bump into it, it's really easy to pick it up. It's really easy to believe, believe it again. And that's why it was so fun to write this book because I think most people don't know that they get to choose their thoughts. They think a thought is something you have, not something you hone. And once you discover that your thoughts are going to happen via one of two ways, choice or chance. And choice is so much better. And I'm curious about the book that you you read uh, by Roy Bobeister, The Power of Bad. I'm curious what you got from that book. Well, I mean, just the, I, I think the two things, the overarching thing for me was how pervasive it is. That it's not, oh, I've got a couple negative thoughts. That, like, that it's very pervasive and that everybody faces that. And two was this overarching sense of you can do something about that. You can you know, do something about that. I've loved Baumeister's work for years. I mean, he's written so many books about willpower and discipline. And so I love when a scientist can write a book that's applicable instantly. And I think he writes those types of books. Really? Is it readable? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like it's readable. It's very readable. That's what I, you know, it's, it's super readable. And it's not one of those books where the notes at the back are 800 pages long and you go, I don't know right. what most of these words mean. I mean, it's, it's super readable. Yeah. And you touch on a failing of yours. You, you spoke to Jeremy uh, Coat and he told you about his oh, dream yeah. hotel yeah. and you yeah. have regrets about how you reacted. And I thought that was, that was intriguing. You know, you're, you're admitting a failure and I don't think you really understood why you were acting the way you were perhaps a broken soundtrack of your own. Yeah. And I was actually headed to Oregon. I was on a flight to Portland um, and a good friend of mine who I'd known for years told me this kind of dream he'd been working on. And my face essentially said, that's crazy. And my words said, I don't know. Do you think? And it was really discouraging him. And I had to kind of, I, I teach people to do what I call pull the thread. Like when you bump into something like that, pull the thread a little bit, see what's going on behind there. What's the thought behind the thought? And so when I did that, I realized 
Well, I've really come to a place where I feel like, okay, you know, don't get your hopes up. It's dangerous to dream. And so when he shared his dream with me, my initial reaction was, oh, that sounds dangerous. That doesn't sound like a good idea. What if it's risky? And I didn't want to live that way. And so I had to deliberately say, okay, I need some new soundtracks in my life. Like one of them is curiosity beats criticism. Um, we all live in an age right now where we're all having to do new things. And it's really tempting to attack the new thing before you've even explored it. Um, and when you do that, you shut down people's ideas, you shut down conversations, you shut down opportunities. So what if instead of saying that won't work here, you said, I wonder how that could work here. It's a subtle change but it keeps the conversation going and it allows you to actually grow. I'm really curious how you came up with soundtracks as the term because it's used repeatedly and those broken soundtracks. Soundtrack, you think of that's the what carries the film, right? That's what heightens the, the emotion, the soundtrack of the film. Without that soundtrack, it's, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah, you can't tell what's going on. I mean, I've heard people, you know, soundtrack for me is my phrase for repetitive thought. And I've heard people say a thought is like a leaf on the river, it's a cloud in the sky, it's a car on the highway. But for me, I like the phrase soundtrack. And part of it is exactly what you said. If you open up a film and there's a sunny afternoon and it's an idyllic little street and it's a neighborhood with a white picket fence, and then you play ominous music, it changes the entire film you're now suddenly expecting for a clown to be inside with a knife where if you play a happy poppy song you go oh this is a rom-com nothing bad's going to happen so the music and it's often that we don't even notice it but that music that soundtrack tends to change the entire scene and i think the, tr the same is true of our lives when we have our thoughts when we have broken thoughts for instance if you got taken advantage of in a business situation say three years ago and now you believe okay You've got to be on your guard. They're tr everybody's trying to get you. Everybody's trying to take advantage of you. That flavors any chance you have with a new business opportunity because now you're on kind of gotcha patrol. You're looking to say, oh, I got you. You're trying to take advantage of me versus going, let me explore what's going to happen here. Let me see what's really going on. And that's the challenge. Most of the time, people don't even realize those soundtracks are in the background and they're actually changing your actions, which changes your results. You actually attended the World Domination Summit here in Portland, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. I got to, I got to uh, speak there and just had a blast. Um, I'm a huge fan of Chris Gillibo and the work he does in Portland. And it was, it was amazing. And to see, I mean, that's what's so fun. There's not another city in the world that could hold a, such a fun, artistic, creative event. I mean, the name, the, the name is funny because if you're not familiar with it, you think world domination summit, it sounds like dictators get there, but it's really a fun play on words on no, we're, we're here to, you know, create amazing things, change communities. So yeah, I've, I've loved getting to go to Portland. My wife and I um, went to uh, Mount Hood. We stayed at the Timberline Lodge. I mean, I don't know many places where you can ski on a glacier and go to the beach in the same day. Portland, uh, Oregon's a special place. Yeah, it is. It really is. Towards the end of the book, you touch on symbols, and that really spoke to me too. Keeping symbols around you and reminders. And I think that's very important to have something tangible, something physical, uh, a, a symbol of what needs to be done, where you're going, and perhaps, you know, where you want to be. Well, yeah, symbols help us remember new things that are true. So if you, you know, say, you know, you, you go to the beach or you go somewhere and go, okay, 
I really learned this lesson. Then you bring home a pine cone. You have a coin that you keep in your pocket. I mean, people, that's just really fun. With this book, I like to tell people, you're the best DJ. You're going to read it and take the parts and go, okay, this applies to me. This other part I'm going to tweak. This is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I took thousands of people through the content before it became a book, and I got to learn about other people's symbols. Somebody would say, okay, we climbed the top of this mountain, and I took a rock to remind myself that there's beauty at the top. And, and so now she, you know, she doesn't climb mountains constantly, but when she's in a meeting that's difficult, that rocks on her desk and it reminds her, no, I'm going to push through this difficult part because there's always beauty at the top. And some people go, I love my symbol so much. I got a, I got a tattoo. My, you know, it says choose joy on my wrist because I never want to forget. And so I think the, the interesting thing is great brands have known this for years. I mean, the Nike swoosh isn't just a swoosh. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of I tried. It's a symbol of I worked hard. It's a symbol of I believe I can be somebody. And so great companies have known that forever. I just think as individuals, it's our turn to go, well, let me try that in my own life. What do I want to be reminded of in a small way? And uh, I think the funniest moment for me uh, reading uh, soundtracks was uh, (laughs) some of the exchanges with your wife. Uh, They're quite funny. Uh, especially when uh, you're prepaid for haircuts. And uh, I don't think I want to give away that joke because I'd like people to enjoy that. Well, that was 100% true and 100% ridiculous. Like that, that really, sometimes people ask me, there's always at least like three ridiculous things in my books where people go, did you really hire a ping pong coach? And I say, "Uh, it's a table tennis coach, if you don't mind. And yes, I did. Um, So yeah, I just, I think life is fun. I think it's interesting and, I'm a goal nerd, so I'm always up to try a new goal or learn something new. And so, yeah, the exchange that I get to have with my wife, I mean, one of the soundtracks for us, she asked me during the editing process of this book, she read someone and came in and said, do you want feedback or compliments? And I just started dying laughing because she, 20 years into the marriage, she, she's asking that question. And there's some days where I'm like, yeah, give me compliments. Tell me I'm awesome. But there's other days where I'm like, no, nah, I need to tell, I need you to do this, which is not good. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with having friends. They don't criticize. And I think sometimes that's what you need, that critical eye. Is a thought true? And such a basic question to ask of your internal thoughts. And I thought that was very profound. Just asking the question, is this even true, what I'm thinking? Yeah, I I think that's one of the mistakes we make. We tend to think that everything we think is true. And I, I think that when you read the book, um, and there's there's really simple tools. Like, that's the thing. Overthinking can be this big, complicated, fuzzy topic. But the last thing you give an overthinker is an 800-page book. And so the three questions I always encourage people to ask, their loudest soundtracks. Not every soundtrack, because we all have too many thoughts. Who has time to do that? You ask, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? And those are the three questions. Such a basic question yep. to ask. But sometimes the basic ones are the ones that reveal the most. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But everything is working out for you. Your life is dope and you do dope shit. Yeah, exactly. It's, and uh, it's, been, it's been fun. We're on the edge of the launch and it's been fun to you know, see the stories. We, we did a overcoming overthinking challenge online and we had nearly 10,000 people sign up. And so it was really encouraging to teach some of these ideas to people from all over the world and say, okay, what are you overthinking? What could you do if your thoughts worked for you versus against you? So I thought, you know, that the book was going to be helpful. Um, and then we went through a pandemic. Right now, like overthinking is at an all-time high, in my opinion. 2020 was catnip for overthinking. So I think that and part of it is 
I keep telling people everything is a thing. And what I mean by that is everything is some degree of complicated right now. The other day, somebody went to shake my hand and I immediately thought, is it rude if I don't shake his hand? What if I give him uh, my elbow instead? What if I fist bump him? What if I shake his hand, but then I immediately put my hand in a vat of hand sanitizer and said, excuse me, sir, I'm just trying to scrub off the deadly pandemic you just tried to murder me with. Is this a handshaking event? Like, is this a political statement? Two years ago, do you know what went through my mind when I was going to shake somebody's hand? Nothing. I just shook their hand, but now everything's a thing, so... I really enjoyed reading about your struggles. Uh, it's something that I, I, I think is very important for people who are successful like yourself do. Like in 2001, you lost your job, you gained weight. I was actually really curious about that period of your life. I'm not sure if you've written about that before. 2001, you lost seven years of your life because you you oh, were yeah. subscribing to broken soundtracks. It cost you seven years of, of writing time. It was a down period in your life. It, it was. And it's, you know, for me... Um, I look back on that and I go, okay, you know, one of the chapters is about turn down techniques. So um, this, this uh, other author named David Thomas told me, you know, people want stress or negative thinking to be a switch, but it's really a dial. It's not that you switch it off once, it's that you have a dial. And so for me, um, I look back now and go, boy, I sure wasn't turning down the dial. I, there's, you know, a list of, there's a pretty good list of healthy things that I know. These are kind of my benchmarks. If I'm running, if I'm in community, if I'm not isolated. And so for me in that period, I look back and I go, you know what? I didn't really even know how to have friends. I didn't know how to be a friend. Um, I don't, you know, cause I, I don't believe we're meant to do these things alone. And so I look back on that time to now go, yeah, there were definitely 10 things that were missing um, that I'm glad are part of my life now. I'm glad, you know, yesterday I went on a an hour long walk with my, my friend Ben, and we got to talk about what's going well, what's not going well. And so I, I think in my mid forties now, I've, I've learned a couple turn down techniques that are really helpful for the times when life gets stressful because it's going to get stressful. There's a lot to this book. It's well worth a purchase, neuroplasticity. We didn't touch on that, but you can change your thoughts. And that is a very profound thing. So I appreciate you again, you taking the time, John. I've, I've been a fan for a long time and I think your audio books are about as good as it gets for this sort of material. And I love your delivery, very funny. And I hope you cracked up the, uh, the audio producer so join the audio book. Yeah, I, really, I sure tried. I'll tell you that. I sure. They, they made me come back and say some other words that I mispronounced. <laughs> apparently, I'm not going to say the word opioids or reality. Like, there were like five words there. They were like, what are you even doing? So, yeah, I, you know, it was a fun experience. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm a public speaker. So I look at it like a performance. And I want you to have you know, whether you're reading the physical book or listening to it, I want people to have a good time. And I, you know, my goal is they're laughing so much, they're not even aware of how much they're learning. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I hope the book does. So thanks again, John, much obliged. And hopefully you'll yeah, hit, hit Portland you. very soon. You too. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to the Portland podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Day. I produce and edit the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, you can reach me at greg at pdxpodcast.com. We'll be back with a brand new episode very shortly. See you then.